Hello everyone, and thank you for joining me on today's Boba Fett Breakdown episode of Everything Star Wars. Today, like I said, I'm going to be breaking down and analyzing the fourth chapter of the Book of Boba Fett. Now this episode, I rate it above the previous episode, but below the second episode. It was very good, and had a very cool action sequences. Not a lot of fighting, but very cool action nonetheless. And it told a very cool story, and gave us a lot of information about Boba Fett and his character development. It was primarily a flashback episode, but there was some very prominent main story scenes as well. So, without further ado, let's jump right in to an ad from our sponsor, Anchor. Alright, now, friendly warning, there will be spoilers up ahead, so if you have not seen Chapter 4 of The Book of Boba Fett, then do so immediately. Or, well, listen at your own caution. Chapter 4, The Gathering Storm. What does this title mean? Now, I think it refers to the looming threat of the Pikes, mentioned specifically in the dinner scene. As well as Fennec Shan's allusion to hiring more bounty hunters, like a crew. So, the Pikes gathering in their revenge or vengeance or just their wrath against Boba Fett for taking the spot that the mayor clay, um, gave to them, promised to them. As well as the gathering storm, the bounty hunters gathering, or the crew that Boba Fett is going to be gathering. So, let's jump right into the episode. It's another mostly flashback episode, probably the last one though, and we'll see why later on. But opening scene, of course, you know, box tank, but then Boba riding through the desert on his bantha. And we later learn this is actually five years in the future from the previous flashback. So it went from four ABY, which is, you know, time of the last, uh, not last Jedi, Return of the Jedi, to nine ABY, which is like the time the Mandalorian takes place and the time the Book of Boba Fett main story takes place. And that's when this flashback is set. Turns out it's like right before um, he tracks down the Mandalorian, Din Djarin, in the Mandalorian. So he's going to Jabba's palace, where Bib Fortuna now rules from, so Bib's palace. And what he's trying to do is get back his ship, the Slave One. He calls it his Fire Spray. That's the model of gun. That's the model gunship. It is a Fire Spray Thirty One. And he's trying to get that back, but it seems seems like once again there are too many guards. Seems like he's been multiple times. He's talking to his Bantha, so he might be crazy. We'll have to see. I'm just kidding. He's not crazy. But uh, there's too many guards, so he's like, "All right, let's go eat." You know, it sounds good to me. So he eats dinner, and um, the Bantha seems like it wants some of his food, so he gives it to him. And uh, it's just this—it's just this really good, uh, really personal feeling scene. And then he sees these bright white flares or something shooting into the sky. And of course, this is from the Mandalorian uh, season one, chapter five, the Gunslinger. This is when Mando comes to Tatooine. Because his ship breaks down, he's got to get work to pay off the repairs, to pay for the repairs. So he teams up with this bounty hunter named Toro Calican to track down Fennec Shand. They manage to do so. Toro betrays Mando, shoots Fennec, and then goes after Mando. And that's where this picks up pretty much. They used flares to blind Fennec while she, so she couldn't target them with her sniper rifle. That's just a quick recap for y'all if y'all forgot. So 
Boba sees these flares from where he's sitting, eating dinner around his campfire, and he goes, gets on his bantha, goes and finds Fennec. And this is the exact scene from Mando where we just see um, this hooded, cloaked figure walking to Fennec. And we hear the spurs, of course. And then we get this great scene where he goes to the mod parlor to fix her up. And this is an awesome scene. It, it made Tatooine feel really, very real. Um, and just something like, you know, you might have, you might just see, like, commonplace, like a, basically a tattoo parlor, but, uh, but Star Wars version. So, of course, it's, you know, functional. Um, but that's pretty much all it is, is functional tattoos. So it would be like if your tattoo would, like, enhance your vision or if your tattoo was, like, razor sharp. Or something like that. But it's just this pretty cool Star Wars kind of tattoo thing. It's even called a parlor. He calls it a mod parlor, like a tattoo parlor. So it's, and then um, he convinces the, the, uh, the main artist or the main modder, is what we call him, the modder, to, to fix Fennec. And it's just this very cool montage. There's gr- this great electronic music going on in the background. And it, just, it shows also where the mod bikers, the mods, get their parts from. The mods are the biker gang he hired in the previous chapter. So it shows where they got their parts from. Just a little more backstory on them, which is cool. And this really provides a slightly different take on them, on the the mods. It's less unnatural and more, you know, they want to be tough. Like this gang, like this gang would be like. They're just these wannabe gangsters who, uh, well, I mean, they're they're gangsters, but they're just, they want to be like these really tough looking gangsters, cyborgs. Uh, almost gank-like, and ganks, ganks are like cyborg mercenaries, pretty much, in Star Wars. So, like, this gang would want to be like. They'd want to be seen as these, you know, they're cool cyborgs, but seemingly even on the lower end uh, by Star Wars universe's standards. So, like, you know, to be a real cyberneticist, you'd have, like, a couple robot arms, a robot brain, maybe, and, you know, other robot parts. But these guys, these are kind of, like, low-level uh, cyborgs. But it's still very cool uh, for us to see, uh, even though it's on the lower end by Star Wars standards, which is funny. So the modder fixes Fennec up. Uh, she, she got a gut shot, so he fixes her up, and he doesn't cover her up, though, which is interesting, because we see her covered up in The Mandalorian, so eventually she gets a covering for her abdomen area. And then she wakes up by the campfire. She's very freaked out. She's very untrustworthy. Uh, she thinks he's going to turn her in. She's like, ah, I'm worth more alive. And he's like, yes. And then she says she's going to pay double the bounty. Uh, and Boba's like, I don't want money. And which is, this is funny, because this is like the second time in a row this has happened to her. Because Toro Calican said the same thing. He doesn't want the money. Uh, he was going to give it all to Mando anyway. He just wanted to get into the guild. But now Fennec also can't bribe Boba Fett either. So she's just, for her, from her point of view, it's a very hopeless situation. But uh, Boba demands service uh, to him, basically to pay off her debt that he, she owes to him. And he wants her to help him get his fire spray starship, as he calls it. He calls it the fire spray because that's what model it is, but it's a slave one. And Fennec agrees. She acquiesces and, and says that then the, pet will be, the, the debt will be paid. So they're back, they go back to Bib's palace. And Fennec uses this cool, unbeforeseen drone to scout out the palace. I don't know what happened to it and why she doesn't use it anymore. Maybe it's just not practical. Maybe we haven't gotten the chance, but very cool drone she's got just to scout out the palace. And it shows the layout of the palace with the number of guards that are in there. And then comes back to her and displays the whole thing on this very cool holographic image, starting in the hangar and then going outward so that they can see the route they need to take. So Boba and Fennec come up with a plan to sneak in. 
they know their limits. They know they can't take on all the guards single-handedly, despite being two of the best bounty hunters slash assassins in the galaxy. At least they were during their prime. They're not necessarily in their prime anymore, but they know their limits. So they go to sneak in. They go in through the drainage system, and then they come out in the kitchen. And this, and then these two droids, there are these two chef droids in there who are cooking food. Uh, we see how Bib Fortuna got so fat by the time we see him in The Mandalorian. He's got these two really cool droids cooking for him. They think it's a rat at first, so they call the rat catcher, who later turns out to be an LEP droid, a LEP droid. And, um, but this scene is cool in the kitchen because we get their, we get a, really the first real feel of their abilities and teamwork. How, uh, Boba Fett and Fennec will work together, their, their whole partnership, their whole dynamic. This is the first time we get a glimpse of how that works in combat. So, you know, first Boba Fett destroys the first droid while distracting the second droid. Fennec kills it. And it's just this really funny, like General Grievous as a chef droid. He's got these, he's got six arms instead of four and he has knives instead of lightsabers, but he has like the same, pretty much the same spinning motion that General Grievous has, which is just very funny, like very, very scary too. I mean, if we, if, if we didn't know that Boba Fett and Fennec Shand were two of the best bounty hunters in the galaxy, then we'd be very afraid for the person going up against this General Grievous the chef. So then the LEP rat catcher comes in, and lep droids are notorious mischief makers in Clone Wars. Several arcs, they appear only to cause mischief, whether they be carrying bombs or carrying vials of dangerous viruses, like the Blue Shadow virus. Uh, they're just, they, they show up a lot in Clone Wars, which is very funny, and it's great that they show up here too, because we haven't seen a Leptroid in live action as far as I'm aware. Correct me if I'm wrong, you know what my email is, it's in the podcast description and in the episode description. Anyway, Boba Fett, after a long chase, catches this droid, and he, it's funny, he just pins the droid up against the wall and says, I am Boba Fett, you know, like he, like that name means something to the droid. Um, and then the droid just shuts itself down. So, they manage to sneak through the palace and get to the hangar, and they arrive unimpeded. But two Gamorreans enter shortly after, and they're quickly disposed of by Boba and Fennec, uh, each, uh, each defeating the Gamorrean that came towards them. So then as Boba is, about, is examining his ship and is about to enter, more Nikto guards arrive, and Nikto guards, it's, or Nikto is just the species of the guards, like the Nikto um, speed bikers. And uh, so Boba goes to start up his ship while Fennec fights them with her sniper rifle, and hand-to-hand as well. Uh, after a long fight, which is a very cool shootout going on, um, after a long fight, very intense fight with the Slave One trying to take off but scraping against the walls, and Fennec barely being able to hold off all the guards, um, she shoots the gate open, and the duo escape. So then she says, next time we stick to the plan. And Boba says, next time? You know, so just this scene where, like, Fennec kind of lets it slip out that she wants to be with Boba, that she wants to hang out with him, that she wants to uh, work with him, really, because she, I mean, she like she should. She's one of the greatest bounty hunters. He is probably the greatest bounty hunter, at least was at one point. So it makes sense that she want to uh, be with him. So then, uh, all throughout this, he's he speaks with Fennec about wanting to take over Jabba's territory, Jabba's palace. And I'm not going to go in order of when he says what, um, but basically, the gist of the, the, his conversation with her over the period of the flashback is he tells her he wants to take over Jabba's territory, which surprises her. She doesn't really think it's possible for, you know, 
him to do it specifically because he's a he was a bounty hunter and she doesn't think it's possible to just quit being a bounty hunter and instead just take over a uh, a house or a uh, a gang like like they call it and he tells her that the tuscans didn't make him soft which she says she said the tuscans made you soft and he said no they didn't make me soft they made me strong everyone needs a tribe eventually he says something to the gist of that and of course he's well past his prime at the age where he needs a gang really and this is interesting because he's got strong convictions about not working for people who are just going to get them killed. And he's got strong convictions about that for all bounty hunters. He doesn't think anyone should work for someone who's just going to get them killed. So that's the gist of this. He and Fennec pretty much agree to work together and start or, or take over um, Jabba's territory after Boba gets his armor back. And they agree to take over. But look, he says the Tuscans didn't make him soft. They made him strong. And everyone needs a tribe eventually. So this is just very crucial to his character development. We see why he acts the way he does in the main story. Why, as it's so different, even though it's so different than the way we see him act in, you know, the original trilogy time period, like in the comics. So this is just some important character development, some fleshing out of that. And um, then right after this, we see... So Fennec asks, where are you going next? And he says, um, he's got to, he's got a score to settle. So he goes, he finds the Kenton Striders. And this is the scene from the trailer with the nine or so, half dozen, more than that, nine or so bikers, uh, driving through the desert. And, uh, this is what we saw in the trailer, but it took a dark turn that I did not see coming at all. I thought this was going to be an epic scene with like the Kenton Striders, or I didn't know they were Kenton Striders at the time, but. This group, this gang, going up against some other gang, some other syndicate or something. But no, they drive for a second, and then from behind them we see the Slave One appear, swoop down from the sky, slowly at first, but quickly gaining. And then Bofet starts just impassionately, unflinchingly shooting them out of the air with his first with his uh, twin blaster cannons and then with a missile he fires a missile at the lead biker and this is just a very intense moment for boba and fennec you know just watches the whole thing boba just grim uh stoic just blasting these guys to smithereens so really you know just settling a score with them seeking his revenge and i think the way i see it is he's accepting you know the ways of the tribe of uh, the sand people. So it, all the lessons, everything he learned from them stays with him because he got his revenge. If he hadn't gotten revenge, it would have, I think it would have brewed, festered within him and he wouldn't have been able to change at all. But this was really the turning point for him. This is where he changed. And um, then the Sarlacc pit. And this was a very epic scene. So he's looking for his armor. He goes to the Sarlacc pit where he got eaten <laughs> and he's looking for his armor. So, uh, he was largely unconscious when he came out. So he didn't remember that Jawas stole it off him while he was, uh, wearing it. So he doesn't remember that. He still thinks it's in the pit, but it's Beskar. So it's not going to melt. He says, so he starts, he, he puts the slave one at a very strange, uh, 180 degree angle, but like the other way. So not like landing mode, but the other way. So it's like a 360 degree angle, <laughs> but from the other side. So, you know, that didn't make any sense. But he's, he's hovering face down uh, over the pit. His searchlight uh, s slowly scanning the inside of the Sarlacc pit. And it all gets very still. Still no sign of the armor. It gets very quiet. Any music that there was playing stops. And then 
Boom, the Sarlacc attacks. The Maw jumps out of the pit, out of nowhere. Tentacles wrap around the Slave One, the Maw coming ever closer to engulfing it, which is, that would have been insane to see. Like, the Sarlacc swallow, or eat, trying to eat something this large. Or maybe it was just trying to get Boba and Fennec inside. I don't know, though. But that's crazy that it thought it could do this. Kind of suggesting that it had done this before. So maybe crate dragons and sarlaccs are kind of kind of bitter enemies on Tatooine. Maybe the sarlacc had actually eaten a crate dragon before, or something like that. I don't know. That's the only thing that could have been this size on Tatooine, unless it had eaten other starships for some reason. Um, but anyway, it's a very scary scene. He's trapped by the tentacles. The guns can't land a hit. And then there's this beeping, which is presumably some sort of safety feature or escape mechanism built in to the Slave One. Uh, some sort of safety feature of some sort where, I don't know how it would work, probably some modification added by Boba, where, like, if the ship was ever stuck, like, it was unable to move, unable to gain momentum, then it would activate the seismic charge in the back. So Fennec unbuckles, climbs over to the button, and releases the iconic seismic charge, saying, fire in the hole. The maw, of course, of the Sarlacc eats it, eating anything that it can get, and then it's gone. It's dead. It's very convenient. I mean, I'm not I'm not pointing this out as a flaw or anything or even something dumb, but it's just it's very convenient that seismic charges only explode on one plane. It's not a 3D thing. It's just a they just explode on one plane, one just uh you know just one line. It only it doesn't go in two directions or it doesn't go in three directions. It only goes outwards. It doesn't go outwards and upwards. It just goes outwards. So that was very convenient because otherwise. Boba, the Slave One, Fennec would have just been destroyed. <laughs> but no, it was cool, because it was just a great scene. The Sarlacc just eats the seismic charge, and then it's gone. That's the end of... Um, that's the end of the Sarlacc. Finally. So, no more Sarlacc. We thought he killed it at first, but no. And then, after this whole scene, Boba Fett's just like, mm, Yeah, my almost not in there. Mm, I wonder where it went. Because he had just gone in, he after he killed the Sarlacc, he went into it, kind of climbed in. He was wearing a rope, so it was okay. Fennec was holding the rope. So he went in, looked around, couldn't find it. And this shows why he needed the Bakta, which this is more good explanation for why he needed the Bakta and why he had to do certain things and why he's just been acting differently. It's not because he's just a wuss. It's not because he's just super weak <laughs> and helpless, but it's because he spent a good bit of time in the Sarlacc looking for his armor very recently. So this explains, it's not because he was in the Sarlacc five years ago that he needs Bakta now, it's because he was in the Sarlacc like five days ago. So that, of course he's going to still need Bakta. Sarlacc, uh, stomach acid, not many people know this, but it's acidic. So, that, that should explain to you why he needs the Bakta. So that was just, that was a good, that was a good scene. And Fennec's just like, you really want a Hedagatra? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And she's like, mm, I want to be an independent contract. I want to work for a lot of people. And he's like, well... You work for me, you get my loyalty. I'll die for you. I'll fight for you. And this, interestingly, motivates her to work for him. Because it seems like Boba's onto something. No one wants to die. No one wants to die fighting for someone else, especially someone that they don't even like. So it means a lot to her that he wants to die for her or be willing to die for her. And, well, at the same time, not forcing her to fight or die for him. Just, you know, part of um, just being loyal. They're just loyal to one another. And... That's very important for Boba Fett. He wants to rule with respect, not through fear. This all goes back to that. So then, 
Uh, it flash forwards to the Mandalorian season two end credit scene where he kills Bib Fortuna and then he wakes up. The droid comes in, congratulates him. The healing is complete, so presumably no more flashbacks unless something else happens that requires him to go in the Bacta. But really, there's no more flashbacks to cover. Unless they want to go back to somewhere in the five-year span that they didn't show, but I don't think that's necessary. I mean, I think, it's, I think it suffices to know that he was just kind of chilling on Tatooine. Unless it wasn't, and there's going to be like a whole other series that explains what he was doing. And that'd be cool too, but I'm fine with just him wandering Tatooine with his Bantha waiting for the right opportunity to strike. So, no more flashbacks. And Fennec mentions something about the scars on the inside, which he says take more time to heal. Because, you know, he's done healing on the outside, but then scars on the inside, they take more time to heal. Now, what scars is Fennec talking to? Is, is Fennec talking about? What's she referring to here? It, could it be the Tusken tribe massacre? It could be. But I really don't think so. I don't think that's really a scar for him anymore. I think it really hurts him to have them gone. But he did get his revenge, and that satisfied him. He, Boba, that's how Boba Fett operated. You don't, you don't mess with Boba Fett's reputation, he gets he, or he'll get revenge on you. You don't mess with Boba Fett unless you want revenge, unless you want to get you know, the same thing done to you. So I don't think that's it. I'm sure there's also a lot of trauma, almost dying in Sarlacc, and that's probably part of it. He's probably tormented by dreams of, well, we know he's tormented by dreams of being in the Sarlacc. We've seen that specifically. In, his, in the flashbacks. But then, here's what I think it is. I think that it's most likely that he either told her, or she just already knew, because most people knew, about Boba losing his father, Django. We know that she knows something about the dreams, because in the first episode, he says to her that the dreams are back. And the first episode, as well as the uh, second episode, covered flashbacks of him... Losing his father, him uh, watching his father, him learning from his father, all that kind of stuff. So we know that he dreams about his father, and I think it's very likely that he told her about his father. So this is very emotionally scarring for him. Uh, he sees his, sees his father's ship in dreams, and all sorts of stuff with his father in his dreams. So it's interesting that she brings this up, Fennec brings this up. Now, this is significant because his father often worked in a team. Um... And lost his life when he didn't. So, of course, he was one of the, he was the best bounty hunter in the galaxy. Jango Fett was the best bounty hunter in the galaxy while he was alive. And he gained this reputation by, first of all, never failing, of course. But also working with other bounty hunters who, who had a good reputation. Um, but then also, you know, they had a good reputation and he easily surpassed them. But he worked with them, and that was the point. He... He knew how to work with others. He knew how to work in a crew. And that's something Boba Fett has never, never really known how to do that well. He's always loved to be a loner. But I think now that the dreams are coming back and he's more open, he's more emotionally exposed, I think that, I think that he's really coming to, I think he's really maturing. I think that's the point. He's not just, um, he's not just trying to cover it up. He's not just trying to block it out of his memory. He's really maturing. He's opening up to the fact that he lost his father, that it hurts to him that he lost his father and that his father was probably onto something with the whole teamwork thing. So this is probably something that's just between the two of them. They know, they both know what he's talking about. Um, but it's significant that his father often worked in a team and he only lost his father, Django, when Django was working alone, when he was working solo. So I think this is part of the, another part of the reason why Boba Fett 
needs a tribe or feels like he needs a tribe. So that just goes back to what he was saying before. So he wakes, he's awake, he's awake now. He's, he was talking with Fennec Shan, and now he's at Garza Fwip's th- sanctuary. And the scene opens in the sanctuary, the cantina, Kersantan brooding menacingly as he eyes a group of Trandoshans. He's very intimidating and fearsome. He's got this intimidating and fearsome look on his face, and he finally loses it as the Trandoshans keep winning in the gambling game they're playing. Kersantan flips out and unleashes his full fury upon them, using his spiked knuckle dusters to devastating effect. He's about to strangle one Trandoshan who looks very frightened. And I just gotta pause right here and say again that the the aliens in this show are done so well, so incredibly well. Every relevant character in this scene is an alien, and the dynamic between them works so well. The facial expressions, just the way they look visually, it's all very cool looking, so much better than Star Wars has ever done before. They're putting a whole new light, a whole new perspective on some of these characters and aliens. Like... Kersantan. Chewbacca never had these facial expressions that Kersantan has. They could never pull it off. And the Trandoshan. Bosk was a really weird, wacky-looking character in Empire Strikes Back. He was cool-looking nonetheless. All these characters were cool-looking. But they're just putting it in a whole new way that makes it feel more real. And that's what's been so great about the show as well. It's been very visually appealing. But alright, back to the scene. He's got, Kersantan's got this Trandoshan in a neck lock. He's, he's choking him to death. And the Trandoshan looks very frightened. The facial expressions are great. Finally, though, Fwip, Garza Fwip, intervenes. She flatters Kersantan, saying, You are the best champion in the world. You've won every battle. You've won every trophy. You are Black Kersantan. You are a champion. But then she also bargains with him. She's like, Look, this isn't the way things are done anymore. People used to flock to hear the name Kersantan. People used to come from all over, but we're more civilized now. Now look, you've worked up quite the tab while you've been here, and if you let this poor Trandoshan go, I will clear the tab for you. And then, of course, ultimately she pacifies it. She stops the conflict. He stops beating up the Trandoshans. After, of course, he simply rips the arm off of one of the Trandoshans. So this was really one of the most chill things he could have done. He was obviously in a terrible mood. And a much more fitting response would have been to bash the Trandoshans' face in. I would not have been surprised if he had done that. But he simply, merely, humbly resorts to ripping off the Trandoshan's arm, which will grow back. They're Trandoshans. This was not anything big. This was not a terrible thing to do to him. And it was great. The whole arm ripping off thing was just like Ponda Baba in A New Hope when Obi-Wan Kenobi, disguised as Ben Kenobi, chops off Ponda Baba's arm in the canteen in Mos Eisley. And it was just this great scene reminiscent of that, again, making it feel a lot like Star Wars. And Boba is just coolly observing at the doorway. And this is important because it's important for him to see this leader, Garza Fwip, who rules, quote-unquote, rules with respect. She leads her cantina, she heads it up well, with respect. He sees uh, his goal is attainable, seeing that ruling with respect is not just something he's imagining, it's something attainable. And he sees an example of it in this situation. So this is very important for him to see. But then he follows Black Kersantan outside and hires him to work for him. He's like, you want a job? And he does so. So then... We get the 
much-anticipated dinner scene with the captains, Jabba's captains. And, you know, we got all the stuff from the trailer, Fennec talking, like in the trailer, but Black Chrysanthemum is in the background, unlike the trailer, which is just very cool. And Fennec's just like, you all accrued wealth and riches under Jabba, blah, 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 blah. She, you know, keeps talking. She's like, this is Boba Fett. And Boba Fett's like, why resort to conflict when cooperation can make us all rich? And, you know, he, he goes on, he's making his proposal. And then the, uh, the Klaatuinian leader, I'm not sure if we heard his name. If we did, let me know. I might be wrong about that, but he's a Klaatuinian. The Klaatuinian says, what prevents us from killing you and taking what we want? And then right as he says that, the rancor, that's what, claws pop out, pop up through the gate and a roar bellows from the dungeon below. And this is just a great callback to the rancor. Like we kind of forget about it at first. And then these claws just shoot up, shaking the grates where the table is on top of. So all the captains, all of Boba's guests jump up from their seats. Boba remains calm and cool, expecting this, of course, but no one else was expecting this. The audience was not expecting this. It was a very well-implemented scene, and Boba Fett just says, like, oh, he's hungry, don't worry about him. And, you know, this just gets them all on edge. This is like when Boba Fett says to Fennec Shannon, that was a bit heavy-handed, when she's threatening the mayor's majordomo um, by uh, just walking up to him and like, you better find us an appointment, she says, like while she rests her hand on his gun holster. You want to talk about heavy-handed, Boba? This is heavy-handed, but this is just an awesome scene. Very subtle for the Rancor. Like, this was not one of the scariest scenes we've seen with a Rancor, but it was just very well implemented. So he's unable to convince them to help him and fight and die for him, but he convinces them to at least remain neutral. So he wa what he really wants is for the captains to help him team up with him against the Pikes. He doesn't want the Pikes to take over. He knows they don't want the Pikes to take over. It's in their own self-interest to not let the Pikes take over because they won't just stop with Jabba's territory. They're going to go and take over the whole city of Mos Espa, causing these families, these gangs, to lose their power, lose their money, lose their uh, place in the society. And so Boba is just like, don't work with them. They're going to betray you. They're the Pikes. And they just, they don't want to. Partly because the spice trade is very helpful to them. It makes, makes a lot of profit for them in the city streets. So that's part of the reason. And then the other part is, of course, what I said before. So he's only able to convince them, but he convinces them to remain neutral. So, because that's what's in their own self-interest. And that's what he trusts them to do. So they definitely don't want to help the Pikes. They would take over their territory if they defeated Boba, but they're unwilling to die and fight for Boba Fett. And that's, I think, the, the big crucial thing is that they don't want to fight and die for Boba Fett. They don't respect him enough yet. Once he gets them to respect him, then I think he'll be able to unite them against the Pikes. And that could be a very cool scene to see happen in this season or even next season if there's another threat, whatever threat comes next. So then after dinner, everyone leaves. Well... Before everyone leaves, I just gotta say that uh, 8D8 turns out can interpret Aqualish, which would have come in handy in the first episode if Boba and Fennec had known. Because Master Garfalaquox, okay, best name in Star Wars, prove me wrong, says, says something that 8D8 interprets. So this would have been very helpful when Boba Fett and Fennec Shand were saying they needed to get an interpreter droid or a protocol droid when Garfalaquox was giving them a gift. I'm not going to stop saying Garfalaquox. 
I'm never going to call him the Aqualish guy again. I'm going to call him Garfalaquax. So Garfalaquax leaves along with Doc Strassi, who's the Trandoshan, and the Klaatuini. I'm not sure if we know his name, but I might be wrong about that. So um, they all leave, agreeing to, you know, remain neutral. And then Boba and Fennec are talking about how they're going to need to hire some muscle. Because Boba's like, I've got plenty of credits. And Fennec's like, okay, I, I can help you with hiring the muscle. And then as she says this, the theme from the Mandalorian plays, just the, that, um, that bass recorder, just that, you know, and that plays, and then it was a great moment, almost gave me goosebumps, because I'm very excited to see the Mandalorian show up. He's undoubtedly going to show up. If they played this theme just as a fake out, I would be very upset, because that's not how themes work in Star Wars. So... I can almost 100% guarantee that we will be seeing Din Djarin. And if we don't, I'm going to have a I'm going to have a word to say. All right, I'm going to have a word to say to John Favreau. Okay? Cuz John Favreau's got to know how Star Wars works. You can't just throw a theme in there and then just ignore it or pretend it didn't happen or just use it as a fake out. That's not how themes work. That's, if if John Williams was dead, he'd be rolling in his grave. If it's a fake out. But that's pretty much the episode. That's where it ends. So He's putting together a crew. After all, he's the crime lord now, and that's what crime lords do. Isn't that interesting? Jabba was always known for putting together crews. That's what crime lords do. They put together crews. They don't do the dirty work themselves, just in general. I'm not saying Boba Fett's not going to do that, but they don't do the dirty work themselves. They get crews to do it. They get bounty hunters. This is Star Wars. Crime lords hire bounty hunters to work for them. Now Boba Fett's hiring a group of bounty hunters to work for him, really symbolizing and having him fully embody the whole crime lord aspect which is just very cool it's it's very subtle you don't think of it at first but that's what's going on it it took me a while to realize that but that's what's happening boba fett has is becoming the crime lord he's putting together his own bounty hunter crew which is what i how i thought this direction how i how i thought this show was going to go the direction i thought it was going to take very early on if you've listened to my um book of boba fett theory episode which was from several months ago last year in fact I believe March or April, but that was one of my first episodes. Mm, yeah, I did a theory series a while back. So if you've if you've been listening to the show for a while, you remember that. And I thought he was going to be putting together a bounty under crew, but not for this reason. So this is a very cool direction to take the show in, because he knows it'll be his best chance of going up against the Pikes. He needs a crew of the best. If he can't get these big families to help him out, then he's got to get a small group of the best of the best. So, besides Mando, who will he hire? Now, that's, that's a question for next week's theory episode, so stay tuned for that. I've got some very cool ideas, and if you want me to share your ideas too, make sure to let me know at my email. Now, the next episode, pretty much everything from the trailers has already been used. I just rewatched all the trailers, I think. I don't think I missed any. Let me know if I did. Let me know if I'm off and there's something that hasn't been used yet. But I, I just rewatched the trailers and everything's already been used. So we have no hints as to what the rest of the season will look like. If I had to guess, I'd say that in the next episode, we'll get a first wave of the Pikes. Boba won't be as ready as he could be and only barely beats them, furthering his desire to hire a crew. This will set up the penultimate episode in which he and Fennec gather the crew together. And finally, the finale, where it will be Boba and his crew versus the mayor and the pikes. Now, another option is that 
in the next episode, the Pikes actually drive Boba out. They drive him away from Tatooine. They drive him away from his palace, and they succeed in doing that. That would be a very interesting turn. And that would require him to, you know, do the same thing, get his crew ready, hire his crew, and then, of course, come back to Tatooine with his crew, his bounty hunter army, his bounty hunter gang, to he'd come back to Tatooine and then take back his palace from the Pikes and the mayor. And then, of course, riding his rancor through the streets while going to confront the mayor for the last time. But we'll have to see how the next episode plays out, which I'm very excited for. And I hope you are, too. So thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoyed the most recent episode of The Book of Boba Fett. It has been a very cool season so far. And I'm very excited to see where this show goes. So if you did enjoy this episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Subscribe. Leave me a five-star review. It really does help out the show. And share this Share the podcast with all your friends on social media, all your followers. I'm sure you've got tons of followers. Um, So please share this around. Uh, Get the podcast around. Get the word around. I really want to do a lot of growth, uh, listener growth this year, and, um, you know, maybe get some more sponsorships. If I can get one more sponsorship, that would be, like, the best. And all that takes is for you to keep listening to this podcast and sharing it with all your friends, all of them, every single one, even if they don't like Star Wars. I'm going to convince them to like Star Wars. I guarantee it. All right, so send them my way. Let them know about the podcast. And until next time, may the force be with you.